Good morning and thank you for joining this live BSI webinar on understanding consumer vulnerability is your business prepared. I'm Rebecca Ness and I'm here today to help facilitate the webinar. To help me with today we have three experts to share their knowledge and their opinions. I'm delighted to be joined by Natasha Bambridge who's the Global Director for Consumer Promise Practice at BSI. Um, we have Elena Cook, Social Obligations Manager at Wales and West Utilities and Louise Jones, who's the Sales and Social Obligations Manager at Scottish and Southern Electricity Networks. Before we begin, I just want to make you aware that you've joined this webinar in a mute-only mode, so you cannot talk to each other or to us. However, do please feel free to type any questions that you have in the question box in your webinar control panel and we'll do our best to answer them in the Q&A section at the end of the presentation. And just to let you know that we will be record, you will be receiving a, a recording of the webinar today, along with a copy of the slides after the webinar. And we'll also run some polls during the course of the webinar to engage with you and gain your feedback. And we'll, when we leave the webinar, we will ask you to complete a small survey just to tell us what you thought of the webinar today and what you would like to hear in future webinars. We're going to start today with Natasha um, taking you through the current landscape, followed by Louise, and then from Elena, who will then take you through their experiences of the and in their organisations. And then finally, we will um, end with a Q&A section at the end. Um, and again, please feel free to post any questions you have in the control panel. So we will start with um, a poll question. Um, we'd just like to know if you what the current considerations are for consumer vulnerability. So within your, your organization, to what extent is consumer vulnerability seen as a high priority by senior managers? Um, is it high, very high, low, um, unsure? I'll just give you a few minutes to finish voting. And you can see the results there. Um, and now I'd like to pass over to Natasha. Hi there, and it's great to speak to you all about this really important topic that's becoming ever more increasingly important um, with recent events. So first of all, I'm going to just take us through a quick introduction of, um, of BSI for those that don't know us well. So it's a BSI um, for over 100 years um, has been creating standards and we actually created the very first standard for steel and we're the national standards body for the UK. So Rebecca, if you'd like to go to the first slide. So as a Royal Charter organisation who's independent and, and non-profit distributing, we're able to invest 100% of all of our profits back into our company. And we're really proud to support industry with their work towards the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So just recently, um, you might have seen that BSI led the London Declaration supported by ISO, the International Standards Organisation, so that all standards consider the science of climate change and as an organisation, we're also committed in our own improvement. Now, today we offer over 58,000 standards and we originated the world's three most widely adopted standards, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, so quality management, environmental management and occupational health and safety. Now, as a global business, we help organisations all over the world implement this collective best practice. And we actually spend, it's around 190,000 days every year evaluating and certifying these management systems that have been created through best practice and consensus and then implemented within organisations. And we spend around 190,000 days each year um, assessing those. 
Now, our product certification team that focuses on product spends thousands of hours in labs each year testing all sorts of different things, windows, electronics, and medical devices, many types of products that you'll be familiar with seeing in your home where you want to know that you're safe you know, or on your work site or, you know, or even when you're under the care of medical professionals. And a product or service process such as consumer vulnerability, which we're going to talk about today, tested and certified by BSI is the ultimate sign of trust. And it's recognised as such by consumers, uh, never more so than in the UK. So let's move on to the first slide and let's talk a bit more about what is vulnerable and what, what are vulnerable consumers. So consumer vulnerability is it's a relatively uh, it's a relative and dynamic definition. And a consumer's needs and their abilities can change with, you know, with time or with circumstances, especially if that consumer is faced with a particularly urgent or complex issue. So this vulnerability can be caused by a whole range of factors. Um, the situational ones that we can think about, so things like you know, mental health issues um, or illness or a change in their personal circumstances. And you know, that can be things like you know, bereavement or unemployment. There's also market ones, such as them having limited knowledge or awareness of products or markets. Now, some groups, such as older people and people with, say, a disability, um, are often assumed to be vulnerable, but it should not be assumed that they're automatically vulnerable related to the service that's been offered. Consumers can be put in a vulnerable position by an organisation's failure, actually. Um, where they don't provide an inclusive service. And it's really important that all consumer-facing organisations provide a flexible um, and an inclusive service which meets the needs of all consumers. And, and that's regardless of their personal circumstances. So for consumers in a vulnerable position, you know, this can re reduce the risk to them of detriment. So making it easier for them to obtain information, you know, making it easy for them to access a service and, you know, and understand things such as you know, terms and conditions when they are contracting for a service. It can also increase their ability to choose suitable services. And, and when things do go wrong, providing an inclusive service can, can impact their ability to, to seek effective resolutions as well from an organisation. So by providing a flexible and inclusive service, organisations can make their services accessible to a, a much larger number um, of consumers and they also can give them, them confidence that those needs can be met uh, by recognising those signs of vulnerability and then by dealing with them appropriately organisations can increase satisfaction and they can build confidence in their brand so with the introduction of legislation to protect vulnerable consumers the provision of inclusive services and the ability to recognise the varying needs of consumers and deal with them appropriately is increasingly important so what's really important is that if we define it is that services is available, it's usable and it's accessible to all consumers equally, regardless of their personal circumstances. But it takes a lot for a business to be able to implement that effectively. Now, back in May 2008, the European Unfair Commercial Practices Directive, known as the UCPD, was implemented in the UK to protect vulnerable consumers. And it's the first time that provision for vulnerable consumers has been included specifically in the structure of UK consumer protection legislation. And the UCPD places general prohibition on traders treating consumers unfairly. So it's a long time ago that that was, um, that was actually released in 2008. And, and increasingly more legislation and regulation has then come in, which we'll touch on in just a moment. So let's move on to the, the scale of the challenge. Onto the next slide, please, Rebecca. Great, thank you. So these stats that you can see on the screen here come from some guidance from uh, Trading Standards. And it's a real eye-opener for me in terms of the, the, the breadth and, and depth of the challenge that you know, the organisations and individually consumers face when they're seeking services. So if we just look at some of these stats here, so 14.1 million UK residents have a disability. You've seen an increase um, in, you know, in illnesses such as cancer, with 2.5 million consumers in the UK currently living with cancer. You know, and, and dementia also been on the rise, with a million consumers in the UK affected by it. 
Now, what we've seen in the press kind of over, certainly over the last year increasingly, is, is a rise um, in, in mental health concerns for, for individuals as well. And the pandemic has exasperated um, this issue with isolation and also the financial impact of the, um, of the pandemic, as well as things like health anxiety for consumers. So there's, there's suddenly a, a new and, and growing pool of people who may not have had these experiences before. Um, again, that situational vulnerability coming to the forefront. Now, what this does present is an opportunity, you know, one, to do right by these consumers, to provide them with the services that they are entitled to receive um, from your organisation in an inclusive manner. But it also presents an opportunity to promote your services to a much broader community of consumers by making your services accessible. So if we just move to the next slide now, talk a bit about some of that, that changing landscape. So what we've seen post 2008 and the UCPD is an increase in specific regulation. Now there's new gambling laws that are due to come into place um, to, to protect um, vulnerable consumers when they're using services from gambling providers. You know, and that could be for a whole variety of services. You know, it could be related to their addiction um, if there is an addiction issue and um, it could be related to financial circumstances for example for these individuals yeah, but this is a service that's the change it's changed the context of how consumers interact with these services has changed from the days of attending a betting shop and now 24 7 always accessible service and that and the uh, new gambling law will reflect that and reflect the impact that that could have now you'll see in the headline there that they could face organisations um, who aren't meeting that law could face fines of up to 20 million euros if they breach some of those provisions which are outlined in the bill. And this is a move that we've seen um, from, from lots of regulators, both encouraging change, ensuring that we're looking after consumers effectively, but also implementing that fines are, um, that fines are applied where organisations are not able to meet up to those regulations. Uh, the FCA is the other example that we have there on the screen, um, who recently um, had another fine issued um, to an organisation who wasn't providing an appropriate service um, to consumers. And it's a familiar topic. So it's never been more important to, um, to look after vulnerable consumers. It's a growing pool of consumers who would fall into that category um, from a situational or a market perspective. Um, but there's also an impact on business when the business isn't doing the right thing as well. So if we move on to the next slide, thank you. So back in 2010, responding to this, BSI facilitated bringing together and collaborating in our consensus process that we use for creating standards, bringing together industry, consumer groups and other stakeholders, and we publish the inclusive service provision requirements for both identifying and then responding to consumer vulnerability. Now, this focuses specifically on how to make a service accessible to all. So it's a requirements document that can be used to, um, to, to create that framework. And it does that so that no one is inappropriately excluded from a service that they wish to consume. And it also helps the organisation to identify and assist those consumers who could be vulnerable um, or could be at risk of disadvantage. Now, the standard itself is intended to encourage the adoption of fair, ethical and, and inclusive practices demonstrate best practice for organisations um, in the identification first and then the treatment of vulnerable consumers and that's in relation to UCPD and also other relevant uh, legislation such as the regulator requirements of um, FCA, Financial Conduct Authority and Utility Regulators. And what it does is it assists organisations to really understand what consumers have a right to expect from them and improve the accessibility to their services for all. And in turn, it hugely increases um, consumer confidence in that particular organisation. And we've been working to support organisations who are implementing inclusive service provision. Um, and this includes BSI independently assessing their procedures and through a whole variety of assessment methods, all the way across the consumer's end-to-end -end journey, um, we, uh, we conduct those assessments to make sure that they're capable of and, and, and they're evidencing that they are delivering on those procedures. 
and, and this can include everything from us being you know with an organization in their head office right out to us being out on site with the repair and installation team and we're going to hear more about that in a moment um, from some of our clients so i'll hand you back over to rebecca thank you natasha um we're gonna before i hand you over to um elena and louise we're just gonna run one more poll question for you so i'll just share that with you now so the the question we just like to know if the organization has any processes or procedures already in place for your vulnerable consumers Just give you a few minutes to to finish answering on that before I okay. Sure. Um, and then I will now hand you over to Louise Jones. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Louise Jones, and I'm the Social Obligations Manager at Scottish and Southern Electricity Networks. So I'm going to talk you through this morning a bit about who we are and why we have been involved in the BS18477. Um, I'll just wait for my slides to update and I'll go through that with you. Fab, so that's great. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, so a bit about who we are. Um, we're Scottish and Southern Electricity Networks and we're a distribution network operator. And we've got two license areas, um, one in the north of Scotland, which is our Scottish hydroelectric power distribution network, and the one in sort of central southern England, where we are southern electric power distribution. Um, we are a distribution network operator, so we deliver the electricity to 3.8 million homes and businesses across our two regions. So that sort of means, um, for those that might not be familiar, is if you've got any power cuts or if we're doing any planned maintenance work, we look after everything outside up until the meter point. Um, and along with that, you can see on the right of the slide there, the sort of split of where our customer base is. Um, as you'll see, most of our, our customers are in our southern region and a much smaller pocket of the area. Um, and along with that, we have a priority service register, um, which offers extra help and support to our customers um, in the event of a power cut, um, which has got a, a range of features on it. But we certainly recognise that the customers do need more support, whether that being because they have medical equipment, which might not work during a power cut, um, if they have children, um, young children under the age of five, um, or even sort of temporary vulnerabilities where they might be post-hospital um, recovery. And that is why we have the register. Um, we've got 770,000 households registered to it. So we've got a range of different customers that could require some extra support um, in that event. Um, something else to add at this point is um, we have just recently had a new sort of strategic direction. So we've got our new purpose and vision. So just to let you know that our, our core purpose is to deliver electricity that powers communities in a safe and reliable way. Um, and we achieve that through our networks, helping to keep the lights on and invest efficiently, efficiently in new and existing network infrastructure for the benefits of our customers. Um, and our vision is to play a leading role in enabling the transition to a low carbon world that delivers for all our customers. Um, our foundation is a progressive, innovative and customer focused organisation, which will help us be at the forefront of this transition helping to support deliver of the UK's net zero emission targets. So although we are a, a distribution network operator, our customers are the heart of our business and the focus, and certainly those will have got those extra needs. Um, so the next part is, yeah, why, why would we want to do the British standards? Um, definitely for us, it was to demonstrate to our stakeholders that we're delivering 
um, on our social obligations and demonstrating that we're doing the right thing for all customers. Um, we don't we don't want to leave customers behind, um, and there are ones that will need extra support. Um, each year, we do have our off-gem consumer vulnerability submission, which goes in. And part of that with the strategy was to challenge DNOs to identify and respond to customers in vulnerable situations. So we knew our regulator also challenged us to do more for our customers. Um, I suppose the big thing, though, for us is to improve the services that we offer our customers. Um, we realised that we wanted to provide the best possible assistance and be a bit more proactive rather than reactive when you have these scenarios, um, knowing that we have procedures and um, provisions in place to help customers. Um, and obviously there is the element of compliance and making sure that we comply with best practice across the distribution industry. Um, and we were the second DNO to achieve this with British Standard. Um, so the next slide, please, Rebecca. Um, so I won't, I won't lie, um, there definitely was some challenges in the beginning. Um, we are on our sixth year currently of achieving our British standards, but back six years ago, there was some challenges to get us going. Um, so we had to really get in a lot of staff engagement and get our leadership team on board with it. And also our operational teams that are out on the field and doing the day-to-day -day work. So you've got two different levels that this was a not that vulnerability is new, but it was a whole new concept to show a bit more of a change with them. So that, that was definitely an initial challenge. Um, same with our contact centres. Um, we've got two contact centres in Perth and Portsmouth that handle the calls that come in during any sort of power cuts and issues. So it was getting them to think of a change of mind, um, what more that we can do um, and just get the teams on board with it as well. We also had the internal audit point of view, so we had to create new checks internally um, to ensure that we were complying um, with the, the processes that we were going to implement and put in at the same time. So that was um, sort of more conversations in the organisation about how we're going to audit it, what we're going to need to check and as well as getting that sort of engagement at the start, we needed our teams to understand what they were going to get audited on. Um, and then it sort of rolls right into updating policies, procedures um, and systems. Time consuming, but well worth it. Um, we had to review all our procedures to ensure that we were being inclusive and potentially at that point think about new things that we would need to implement as a business and what more that we could be doing. We also needed to make sure that we had the correct systems in place um, so that we could keep track of what we were doing and ensure that we could deliver the service that we wanted to do. Um, again, these things take a bit of time, but well worth it in the end result. Um, and finally, yeah, getting the right communications across um, both internally and externally. Um, so people knew what we were doing and why we were doing it. Um, if you can go on to the next slide, please. Thank you. So what went well for us, it definitely has um, shifted behaviour and We've had a lot of change. Um, we're a much more customer focused business on the back of it, and especially for our customers with extra needs. I hate, hate saying the word vulnerable sometimes, but it's probably the easiest way to, to say it today. But yeah, helping um, getting our staff identifying what more could we do for our vulnerable customers? How can we help? Not just um, accepting that we can't do anything if it was a challenging situation. We've noticed that our staff starting to think differently on what more they can do and how they can help. So it's been really positive that that's changed. Um, a lot of preparation for the audits. So again, um, it's a great time ahead of it, uh, getting the regions to recap, well, I say regions, sorry, that's internal talk, but getting our staff in our different areas of the business, thinking about what they have been doing for the, the past year, um, which is quite exciting, reflecting back and getting them engaged to showcase really, you know, what they've been doing, the improvements that they've made and the changes. Um, certainly for myself, I always oversee the audits with all our staff and I find it really exciting to share share their journey and what they've been doing. Um, which leads us on to the, the BSI um, communication and the audit days. 
it's a two week well two week period for us we're usually four days in week one and four days in week two um and it's really great to schedule in the time to meet all the staff um and showcase like i was saying in the previous part just what we've been doing um, and I will say that it's definitely provided us a better structure, um, although we deal and um, want to do the best for our vulnerable customers every day. Um, the audit certainly in our early days gave us really good feedback and made us think about more, what more we could be doing. I would say that now is implemented in the business and there's just a, a business as usual attitude about what more we could do for customers. but. Um, the audits certainly make you think about different things each year and how, how you can do better for your customers and what more you can do to improve. Um, so that's a bit about what went well. Um, could you go on to the next slide, please, Rebecca? Sorry, I feel like I've maybe went through this really quickly. Um, but something else I just wanted to sort of point out is um, with all the work that we have been doing with the BS18477 um, SSEN, we have been a member of the working group for the ISO 22458, um, which has been really, really good for us. Um, one of my colleagues, Julie Walker, is in the working group and she has been going through the drafting process and looking into the standards. Um, as you may sort of already know, it's a, a global standard which um, they've been working with countries, um, for example, China, Malaysia, Japan, Australia, Canada and America, just to name a few. Um, and um, it's been a really good time and I know Julie has really enjoyed her work with it so far. Um, so they have had some working group sessions where we've reviewed feedback from other people um, that have been involved in it and getting different viewpoints. I think from an SSEN point of view, we have um, found it really valuable from doing the British standard audits each year to put our um, sort of thoughts and feedback and experience into helping shape the international. Um, and that's gonna be due for release in June, 2022. So a, a little bit of a whistle stop tour of um, how how the British standard has helped us as a business um, but yeah really enjoy it the audits are one of my favorite parts certainly as my job each year to be able to see what everyone is doing and catch up with people and here's some stories that you might not hear about about above and beyond what we've done to help customers um, in extreme situations but also the great stuff that we do as business as usual now as part of it so thank, thanks for listening to me Thanks, Louise. Um, we did just have one question come through for you, if you don't mind answering. It was just, um, how long did it take to prepare the business for the accreditation in man hours? Oh, um, a really good question. I'm just trying to think back about the, the man hours. Um, it definitely took, I, I would probably need to come back to you with a better idea, but I would say in the early years when we first started, it took um, a bit more time because it was a new process um, for our regions to know, our staff to know what to do, how to prepare what they needed. Um, as we're on our sixth year going into our seventh, everyone's really aware of um, our British standard. So it's really just sort of catch up calls to give an overview to say like, you know, our audits are coming. This is what we're needing from you. And they're quite fluent on it. Um, trying to put a, a time scale on it. I'm sorry, you caught me off guard to think <laughs> what it would be. Um, oh, I would just God. say if, if you're doing it for the first time, it will take a bit more time. My top tip would be if you've got a date booked in for your audits, have conversation months in advance um, because I know it's a, a big business, other things can crop up. So giving people enough time to prepare. Um, I normally still start conversations about three months before our audit to say it's coming round. How are you getting on? What do you need from me? Um, and then just plot and catch up calls and help support my colleagues as much as I can. I'm not sure if that answers, but I hope it helps. Anna, that's great. Thank you, Louise. Um, and now I will pass over to Elena, who is our final speaker for today before we enter into the Q&A section. Thank you. 
Morning everyone, I'm Elena Cook, Priority Customer Manager at Wales and West Utilities. Uh, we're the gas transportation network for Wales and the southwest of England. Um, so if we can move on to my next slide, I'll tell you, uh, following on really from the last question to Louise, um, a bit about our preparation um, in, in leading up to our first full audit. So if we can move on to the next one again, please. Lovely, thank you. So um, I took up the position of Priority Customer Manager back in 2014, where we, um, as a business, set up a separate Priority Customer Team to the, the full customer team, specifically looking at what we do for our vulnerable customers. And one of the first things I was asked to do was to look at this standard that was released in 2010 um, and, and with a view to, to us getting on board with it. So one of the first things that we did was to, to look at a gap analysis against the requirements of the standard to see what we were already doing and, and where we had gaps that we needed to fill. Um, so probably like most businesses, uh, we were already doing some really, really good stuff in this area. Uh, we've got engineers who are out face to face with customers all day, every day. And naturally with most people, they will pick up when somebody needs some additional help and, and do what they can to help them. Um, but what we needed to do is make sure that this was uniform across the network and measured as well so that all of our customers, whoever, wherever they were from, was getting the same level of service and a good service for, to meet their needs. Um, so the biggest challenge we faced back at the start, and, and this did take up a lot of man hours, I couldn't put an exact number on it, um, like Louise, but it did take up a lot of time, was cascading or putting in place, first of all, um, our offering to vulnerable customers, our support measures, and then training it out to our 1500 customer facing colleagues um, to make sure that everybody knew exactly what we were, they were expected to do, what they were, what we were able to do for them, to let them know that we were there then as a support to them as well, which I know they found really helpful. Um, and we did all of that face to face as well, because I, it was an opportunity to have conversations with them to find out what um, situations they were coming across that maybe we hadn't considered and, and to, to get across to them what we wanted them to do as well. So that was the biggest challenge to start with, um, but well worth doing to get everybody on board. We then went through a couple of pre-audits um, prior to full audits to, to make sure that we were still in, on, the, on, on the right track and covering up those gaps that we had. Uh, they were desktop, desktop exercises with um, BSI auditors that, that um, went well um, and, and helped us along in the process. And then in 2016, we went for our full, first full audit and we've had the, the um, we've, we've been um, audited against the standard since then next one's due um, January 2022. Um, up until last year these audits took place over a week and we uh, I set up um, interviews with probably about 50 of our colleagues um, back office and operationals so our auditor went out on site visits for a couple of days in the audits and spent some time with people looking at them digging holes knocking customer doors and the, the customer interaction that was going on then which all went down very well. Um, that moved to a, an online audit last year due to COVID restrictions, um, but the audit still followed a very similar format that we had back office interviews and, and the auditor got to speak with some of our operational engineers as well. All of the audits have been successful and there's always some opportunities for improvement and minor non-conformances identified, which is no bad thing, I think, because that's the reason we do the audits to find out or to make sure that we're doing the right things um, and to find out where we could do better and, and pick up on anything, any gaps that we have. So if we could move on to the next slide, please. So our experience of the audit, just like Louise said, completely um, agree, it's an enjoyable experience. I can't deny that in the, in the lead up to it, these few months now leading up to the next audit where I'm trying to make sure that we've got a plan in place of who's going to speak um, with the auditor and to, to make sure that everything that's new since that last year is, is covered. Um, it's a bit nerve wracking, but once we actually get to the audit, it's a really enjoyable experience because again, like Louise said, it's a chance to showcase the great work that we do for our vulnerable customers, take stock of everything we've done in the last year. And, and it's really, really good to see the progress that we've made. I think we're all so busy with our heads down doing what we need to do. You sometimes don't realize all the good work that's happening and the progress that's made. So it's a really good opportunity to do that. Um, and also for those that take part in the audit, they, 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 they feel the same and it's a real sense of pride. You can even see them um, buzzing from talking to the auditor, talking about the, the great things that they do for, their, the, the, for the vulnerable customers that they come across. And it's, it's really nice to see that in them as well. Um, 
and every year since we've started the the awareness the the sign on from the business increases and the support to our vulnerable customers increases as well which is really really good to see um the we, we, there's a portal there's a bsi portal that we use to record update and track the progress against non-conformances so that makes that really easy as well and our auditors always there or anybody at bsi is always there to support and assist with any questions that we have and we've had some fantastic feedback as well which which has gone down really well across the business um which is lovely so if we could move on to the next slide please So the benefits um, that we have of having the audit, uh, business sign-on. So getting getting everybody on board right from the beginning um, has, has been fantastic. Getting the the exec and the the, the senior managers involved so that they're aware of what it is, um, and you know it, it's really important to them as well. So it's, it's something that we we talk about all the time, and it shows the importance that we place on our vulnerable customer service. That gives us leverage to get things done because it's not just that Elena wants to do this new thing. It's um, you know, it, it's from top down. We get the the business sign on to to get that done, and to to have to be able to say that you know we'll do this and it, it's going to you know be something that we can showcase in the audit, the, the following audit, to make sure that we um, keep and improve on our service and keep that um, BSI verification um, is really helpful competition and collaboration within the, within the industry um, so all of the gas distribution networks across the country have the british standards and a lot of the other energy organizations energy and water organizations have it as well and so we're able to share best practice because it's, it's we're, we're not we, we're, the, we're the only gas distribution network in the area we're not in direct competition with anybody um but we all want to make sure that we keep the standard and that, so that we're, we're not the only one without it um and we were allowed, we we're able to share best practice with each other then to see what we're doing, what other people are doing, perhaps what we can take from them and vice versa, what good, good best practice that we're doing that we can share. And that always drives improvement then across the country for all for all customers, which is always a good thing. Um, again, like Louise said, um, the standards are recommended by our regulator. Our regulator is Ofgem and compliance with the standard shows our commitment. It's not something we have to do, but it's something we want to do. And it, it shows how the importance we place on looking after our vulnerable customers. And to those customers, it, it's good for our reputation as well. When customers can see that we've got the British standard stamp, as you can see in the corner on our literature and on our website and um, when our, on our um, colleagues talk about it with them um, it gives them that reassurance that we take it seriously we take the support that we give to our vulnerable customers seriously which is good um, and again having the standard it gives us an opportunity to talk about what we do opportunity to promote the achievements in the reports press releases and on social media um, so it's it's really nice for us to be able to do that but also for our colleagues to see you know that that, that their um, examples are showcased and for customers to see the sort of things that we're able to do for them so that's it from me um does anybody have any questions at all hi elena yeah there, um, there was a question for you it was just in preparation for the first audit um would um the project require full-time management or could a manager do this alongside their existing role um, I would say probably alongside their existing role, um, depend, depending on what the existing role was. I can't deny it did take up a lot of my time, certainly at the beginning, setting up the training, making sure that we had things in place. Not so much now, um, because that's all done up with the training we've moved up to e-learning, so it doesn't take up so much of my time. Um, but I would say, yes, it, it could be done alongside an existing role. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Elena. Um, can I just add to that, Rebecca, just to share one thing I have seen, um, I have seen more frequently clients do with implementation when they're thinking about resources is can consider sort of alternative routes as well. So, so one thing I've seen clients do is um, use, uh, so for example, the apprenticeship levy. So where they might have individuals in an organisation who are developing, say, in project management skills, um, where they require to have like one day a week dedicated to that particular topic, kind of off the job training using that person as the person to kind of project manage the skill project manage the implementation so it still requires you know effort throughout the business for the end-to-end -end journey but it gives it that one focus point for someone leaving the project 
Um, and, the, and the other area I've seen people sort of think about, uh, you know, resources is um, bringing in consultants. So, look, you know, we've got an associate consultant program with people that can help um, support the implementation. And, and again, it still requires support from the business because it's, you know, they own the processes. But that's just another alternative route to consider when thinking about resources to manage the project. Thank you, Natasha. Um, we do. If I, we do have just one one final poll question before we get into the um, Q and A. So um, I will just share that with you now. It was just to see if you would like to con uh, like us to get in contact with you for some more information and what's your preferred method. Um, so while I'll give you some some time to um, answer that poll, and whilst we do that, we um, We'll have a look at what the Q&A will be. So, um, yeah, answering your questions will be all of the people that have been speaking today. So, and also we have some other other colleagues on 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 the line that can help fill in any gaps if if we need any any more information. Okay. Oh. Um, I'll close that poll now and then we'll we'll go into the question so um if if anybody did have any questions just to drop them into the chat so that we can actually get those answered um we do have a question um about um the new standards so the question is if we are um just starting the journey to accreditation will we need to reapply for iso 22458 in june 2022 as we will have only just gained the BS at that time. Um, yeah, do you want me to take that one, Rebecca? Yeah, that would be great. Thank yeah. you. So it's a really good question, and, it, and it's it's one that often comes up from clients um, as standards go through either updates or um, move from, say, being a BS in this case um, into an international standard. So, um, so what we would suggest um, is that you, you know, as an organisation, we don't um, pause the implementation of the BS 18477. And, and the reason for this is that we, we allow a transition period between the two standards. So when the, the new standard is released, which is expected to be in June's time, um, there'll be a transition period of up to two years for an organisation to move across in meeting the requirements um, of the ISO standard. Um, now, what we've, you know, what we've seen so far and the feedback that we've, that we've had today is that between the two standards, actually, it's an enhancement to the existing one. So, you know, people who have become certified will be a good deal of the way there um, already. Um, but what we will also do for our clients is we'll provide a lot of guidance and support. So some of the things that we do when there's a transition is we'll provide um, guidance on a, on a literally clause by clause basis to help people to understand where you know, there isn't any changes at all, where there's an enhancement or where you've got a specific new requirement that you need to implement. Um, but what we'll do is we'll work with clients through that period. Some clients will want to move to the new ISO um, all, you know, almost straight away, and we'll be helping them to prepare to do that to achieve certification you know, almost as soon as it comes out for publication. And, and other clients may, may find it's appropriate for their business to take a, a kind of longer approach to it, and they'll have up to two years to do that. And, and as we come out to do those assessments um, with your organisation, we'll be, we'll be working with you to, to check your progress and to, to make sure that you're, um, you're going to achieve that deadline um, of 2024 to transition. So I hope that helps. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Natasha. Um, there's just been some some feedback as well, just to to say that the apprentice inclusion is a fantastic idea, and um, then some questions about how long the process takes to implement the certification. Um, I I don't know if it would be good to maybe get a view from uh, from everybody on the panel on on that one. I'm happy to go first. Um, yeah. the, going back to my first slide, um, it was 2014 when we first started looking at the standard and two years later we were in place. 
we already had a lot of things in place, but making sure that we had all the boxes ticking, ticked off um, to meet the requirements of the standard um, before that, and just make sure, making sure that everybody throughout the business, I guess it depends on the size of the organisation and, and what part of it's being ordered audited but we wanted to, to cover our whole organization all customers facing staff which is 1500 people um, so the, the biggest thing you know it took a couple of years to, to get out and about and do the training with them um, to, to brief out what it was we like we, we expected of them and and to cover any questions off with them um, so it did take a couple of years but again it, it depends on the size of the organization I suppose yeah, I'd agree with that as well, Elaine. I mean, the, yeah, the size of the organisation and also uh, what we call the scope of the certificate. So, you know, for yourselves, going for the full organisation in one hit, um, you know, it was a really big thing for you to do. And, you know, that's a, yeah. a, a long, long project to be able to implement that. Um, I've seen other organisations who take, you know, a, a discrete kind of service set that they offer to, to almost test it, with, you know, with them as an organisation and mm -hmm. kind of build up that internal confidence that they can achieve it in one um, one specific area um, but yeah there's, there's lots of different ways of approaching it and what, one of the things that we, we've done with um, clients quite a lot I'm not sure if we did this with, with yourself um, Elena and, and Louise is um, a gap analysis because mm -hmm. you know you know actually as service organizations when when people are organizations are designing processes they, they are it's not completely new to them when they think about doing the standard they'll have a lot of things in place already definitely um, through the processes they design um, so coming in like BSI coming into a gap to say okay if we look at you today against the requirements of the standard where are you meeting the requirements and where do you have work to do it gives a real really good sense of okay what what journey are we going to need to take from here and how much work's involved did, did we do that with yourself Elena or Louise did we go through that yeah. gap Yes. Yeah, we did a gap analysis. Um, first of all, we did a gap analysis ourselves. First of all, we had the requirements of the standard, looked at them, and, and had good, put our review against it. And then we did the following year when we thought we'd done a bit more work to meet those gaps. Um, we had you in to do a um, what did we call it? Um, a pre-audit. So we had you in to do a pre-audit, which I guess is like the gap analysis as well, just to check from your point of view where you felt we were against the requirements and to pick out those gaps. Um, so we did that twice to make sure that we were we were in the right position to go for the full audit. Yeah, and I, I would echo we did we did the same. I wasn't involved uh, right at the start. However, I know when we first got the sort of criteria of the audit and, and what we should be meeting, we, we did what Elena just said. We wrote everything down and we started to like, right, how where are we doing that? And we had a really big sort of checklist that we would go through and be like, right, this is what we're doing. This is great. Oh, wait, we could be doing more here. Um, and then obviously caught up with you guys as well to, to do a bit of checks on it too, to sort of get some feedback and ensure that we are evolving and doing more that we can as customers. Um, and just on the other point of view about the time, I would say, yeah, we were the same as sort of what Alina said. It took us a few years. I think because you've got teams that are in the contact centre, it's much easier to brief. It's actually like you're out out teams that are the hardest all our field staff you know they're, they're yeah. out on operational roles day to day so it's trying to actually right let's get you in let's have a chat this is what we're doing and get everyone on board it's always really hard because they are obviously trying to repair faults and get people's power on so we need them out there but we also need them to come in and get them fully engaged and on the journey with us so that part definitely yeah. took time for our operational teams but we got yeah, there exactly and it's the same for us Um, so we have another question. This one's probably more aimed towards um, Ms. Hasher, if you don't mind. Um, they, the question is that as a trainer for vulnerable adults in adult safeguarding of a local authority, is there any synergy between commercial business and local authorities? Interesting. Um, so, I mean, the, the standard itself applies to all organisations. So, you know, when you look at the, the requirements of 18477 and you're, and you're sort of thinking about, you know, the, the context of your business, and, you know, in, in this instance, in this, in, question, in this question, safeguarding services, vulnerable adults, um, but, you know, that would be the service that you are providing. So, so yes, there are synergies and that you're thinking about the sort of the various touch points, how you're designing those processes and, um, you know, and, and, and how ultimately those, those consumers are able to access the services from you with the particular vulnerabilities that they have with consideration. 
So, um, so, so, so yes, there are synergies, and, and you know, the, this standard, and, and generally all standards are, um, when they're sort of business-wide, um, are written in a way that, that gets the organisation to really think about their business, their particular customer group and the services they're offering, and then the um, requirements of the standard can, can then be applied within that context. So, so yes, I'd say there absolutely is synergies there. Chris, did you want to add to, to that? Uh, yes. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, just following on from what Natasha said, um, yes, very much. We, we do actually have a local authority going through the process uh, as we speak. Uh, and as Natasha said, it's, it's a standard that is not dependent, if you like, on what you're offering. It's the standard has been written with several organisations originally. Uh, so it, it is something that we have. Um, we have debt management organisations, councils, um, parts of um, advice bureaus. Um, we have um, a lot of uh, finance organisations, A, going through it uh, or, or uh, just uh, uptaking it as well. So, yes, very much not dependent on the, the service you're offering. As, as Natasha said, it's, it's more helping with the framework um, uh, around your vulnerable offering. Great, thanks, Chris. Um, and then um, we've got a, a final question. Um, can you start planning the BS journey now and go into the ISO? Is that is is that stage one and stage two post June? Yeah, absolutely. I can take that one. It's Natasha. Yeah, so so, so yes, absolutely. So um, so, so you know, so what we're seeing between the two standards so far is um, lots of lots of consistency in terms of requirements. So you could absolutely start implementing the requirements of um, BS one eight four seven seven now. Um, what it would require is before your stage one and two would be um, you know, using things like the resources we'll provide where we do a comparison between the two documents to highlight some of the difference, the differences. Um, it would require as an organisation you then considering sort of further changes and amendments that you need to make. Um, and that could either be done, um, you know, you could do that independently or we could come in and we could do a, um, like I say, what we call a gap assessment. So where we could come in and say, you know, look at your system to the new standards and identify um, any gaps that you've got as you've implemented BS18477, any gaps that you might have in your system um, to achieve in the new standard. And then go on to your stage one and stage two, which are the first sort of two parts of the assessment you get that you have before you're certified. Um, we could then do them um, after June 2022 um, or the date that the standards released. So yeah, absolutely, you can start planning based on what you've got now, and then um, and then kind of upgrade if you like to the uh, to the new ISO. That's great, thank you. Um, I don't, I, I think, um, think that's all the questions we've had today. So if there is there anything um, that anyone would like to add at the end, there, Elena, Louise, Natasha, Chris. Yeah, nothing else to add from myself, Rebecca. Fantastic. No, nothing from me. Okay. Um, well, then I, I think that's probably um, all, all for today. I'd just like to say a big thank you to all of our speakers and also to all of you for giving up your time. I hope you found this um, useful. Um, we'll be sending out a recording of the webinar along with the slides and the supporting resources soon. But for now, um, I will just leave you and thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.